This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. at Omaha, located in caverns deep below the metro area. It's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 642 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Baum, your head number one, and I don't care what no reviewers say. I'm super fired up for the Eternals. And I'm head number two, a.k.a. the Internet's Joe Patrick, and I want Kamel Nanjiani on Dancing with the Stars immediately. You said that, uh, you wrote that as a joke, but it's true. I, I love Kamel Nanjiani. Do you think I don't know you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw that Bollywood scene in the preview and I was like, oh boy, <laughs> here we go. I mean, it was a funny scene. Uh, in this episode, we'll re- in this episode, we'll be reviewing new comics from the last two weeks and then we'll set you up with our must read picks for next week. Finally, we'll give you a taste of our Patreon Extra. Take a look. It's in a book club with our guest, John Literal, where we're reviewing... You know that isn't his name. (laughs) You know it. (laughs) I'm just going to do it on purpose now. Where we're reviewing Joe Hill's basket full of heads. It's all happening in this mind-mashing episode, and it starts right now. Because it's review time in the cigarette! This episode's new comic reviews start with last week, October 27th, and then jump to this new comic book Wednesday, November 3rd. Our pile is crawling with escaped rippers, human targets, cops in hell, and Prince Superman. Hmm. I can't think of anyone better to get us started than the only other person on this show. That's my qualification. That's right. (laughs) I'm also on this show. (laughs) Let's start off with Hellcop, number one from Image. It's written and drawn by Brian Haberlin. And here is your solicit. Welcome to hell! When mankind first broke through the walls between dimensions, nothing could have prepared them for what they would find in known reality plane 1301-A. It was absolute hell. Literally, a covert security force was quickly assembled to patrol the hell plane and ensure that none of the nastier denizens made their way earthside. They were dubbed the Pan-Dimensional Security Corps, the Hell Cops! I like how they say it was absolute hell, literally, and then in the comic, they um, make a point to explain that it is not, in fact, literally hell. Right, and even in, like, the front part of, like, the matter, they're like, it was all there, the lake of fire, and all this stuff, and it's like, I don't, we'll get to that. This is actually returned. No, no, I mean, like, they they say it is not actually hell. Oh, right, right, right. It's not, like, the biblical hell, it's just like the biblical hell. They just say it's a coincidence, yes. Right, it's coincidentally, yeah, hellish. Like, Mephisto is coincidentally like the devil exactly right there you go this is actually a return of virgil the hell cop who first appeared back in 1998 written by joe casey i do not encourage you to revisit that issue back in the day virgil was a textbook macho 90s comic cop with a truly bizarre hairstyle he had like these two long pieces of hair that just came oh like, down an, the sides yeah, like an anime head. character that's <laughs> yeah, wild man yeah like a uh, cloud or whoever from uh final fantasy 7 it looks good on cloud haberlein worked on that book too and he may have co-created this character i couldn't totally fact check that who he's loved ever since and has been planning this relaunch for years the story is mostly told in virgil's narration as he talks readers through the steampunk meets blade runner hell 
in quotes, that he patrols. It's odd because in the opening info dump, part of which is used for the solicit, Haberlin mentions this world, the Hellcops patrol, looking exactly like our Christian idea of hell. But it doesn't at all. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just real quick editor's note, that haircut you referenced is a specific haircut. Oh, boy. And it has a name, according to this review uh, from womenwriteaboutcomics.com. Uh, they revisited Hellcop number one in 2020, and it is called the Kusanagi Bob. Okay. You know who shouldn't be wearing it? White folks. Thanks sure. to some heavy digital effects, this hell looked to me like a fairly normal city with a lot of fog and some large statues. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't normal though, right? There's well, like giant. Like, I mean, it's, I it's, guess, but like it, it, it sort it's of looked kind like of surrealist. Blade like, Runner are, normal. Like, there are no lakes of fire, no. right? But there, but there's also like there's a giant clock for no reason Let and a finish. huge three-faced whatever. The place is full of weird-looking creatures, but they even live in very normal-looking apartments, and for the most part, they act just like us. For a hell dimension, I gotta say it didn't seem that hellish. And for a guy that has as many death metal records as I have in my collection, I know what hell looks like, damn it. Virgil, as a character, was fine. Haberlin certainly updated him from the macho muscle cop of the 90s and introduced the idea he's mourning his wife's death. But other than that, we really don't learn much about him. Instead, he narrates the rules of this hell dimension, which I guess some people actually go to when they die. But there's also criminal demons that aren't dead, and they're brought to regular Earth to pay for their crimes. There's just a lot of rules that may have been better just unexplained. <laughs> you know, just leave it out. There's some very good art here, but it looks to be placed directly on top of digitally affected photographs almost, which comes off as really jarring. Pair that with the complete lack of the hell aspect Haberlin is trying to sell without any actual hell. And I'm not sure what he was going for here. Also, I'm not real sure why this character needed to reboot. It's not a bad idea. But I think you should have leaned into it a little more. You know, I, I'm giving this a skim it. Yes, uh, this is a skim it for me as well. I actually kind of liked the art. Um, like there is something awkward about it. Um, I think Brian Haberlin is an artist that is, um, I think, known for heavy digital rendering. And I don't think that it's necessary, necessarily like what we've criticized Ariel Olivetti for in the past where it's like, that's just a picture of the earth. That's a picture of the earth from uh, Google earth. I don't know, man. That you have some drawn it, venom on top of. Some of it definitely got a little questionable for me. I mean, uh, I mean, a and, scene and, where and they're that's like, like that's, they're in the headquarters and there's like four guys sitting on a thing. And it's just so obvious. They, they look like they're floating, but they're supposed to be on a floor and like, sure. I mean, I'm the, my point is, is that there's a difference between like using digital tools yeah. and like literally just like pasting in a background. Agree. Like agree. A, a lot of, there are a lot of artists that use uh, things like um there's a there's a program called SketchUp that does that helps you render sure. um backgrounds and perspective and and you know the so like there's a lot of things you can do i think haberlin was an early adopter of that because i remember his work even dating back to like the late 90s yeah being you know very influenced by this new technology um but I mean, he's definitely got a style and uh, I, I overall, I thought the art was kind of nice to look at. I liked uh, the creature designs a lot, um, but I agree with you. Um, you know, it, they could have just stopped and said, it's hell. 
Right. The end. It's literally it's the biblical hell. Or don't. Or 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 it's like um it's uh, it is what they say where it's like um it's like a mashup of of several different religions uh interpretations of what hell would have been. Yeah. Or don't do and any like of that. They, Just like the cops call it hell because it man it sure sucks going hellscape. there yeah, and it's sure. hell to get there and it's hell to get back. Just do that. Right. You like know? they could have just done one or the other, right. but instead they tried to do both. Like and then in in execution, as you have pointed out, it's not especially hellish. Right. Like it's weird. Sure. Uh, but there are also just like normal buildings. Uh there are regular people that live there. Yeah. Uh, there are demons, quote unquote, demons uh, that live there that aren't bad. They just are citizens. Right. There's people that die from Earth and go there, but it's not our Christian hell. Uh, well, I did kind of like that. I liked that. <laughs> okay. I liked that theory uh, where he's talking about it. Like nobody knows why it happens, but they suspect that, like, as the soul, like, and they and they try to make it all sciencey. Like we don't like to call it the soul, but as as a human being transitions into death they transition to this new plane sure. that we have punched a hole into instead of moving on to whatever they would have. And here's my and guess. So I kind of, I kind of liked that. I've got a guess. They wanted to call this purgatory cop, but purgatory cop is too long. So they went with hell cop. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like, I don't know. I, I think it tries to, I, I think it's too complicated for no reason. Mm-hmm. I like, you could have just, you could have just said, yes, it's hell. They punched a hole into hell, just like in event horizon. It's bad. Right. And this it's is what it has gone like. wrong. We were wrong. It just looks like this. It's crazy. Right. And you know, you know and, and that's totally fine. Um, but, but instead they were just like, it's hell, but not really, but sort of, yeah. but also the soul's transition here, but also, yeah and it's just like okay too much uh yeah it's a skim it um i didn't hate it and it certainly has to be better than that original oh my god it is better than the original (laughs) i can't believe you read that whole book and thought it was the one you should have read oh god i read about three quarters of it and i was like this is impossible i remember this and then i looked at the date and was like damn you 1998 (laughs) it was 98 it was 98 or 99 yeah I, I thought I had a funny transition, but I don't. My first book is Cross to Bear number one. From say, let's Aftershock. go from hell to the old west. Come on. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> I tried, man. I tried. Uh, it's $4.99. It's written by Marco Stojanovic with art by Sinicia Banovic. There are a bunch of like accents and, uh, you know, swirlies and, and stuff above several of these letters. So I know I'm not pronouncing them correctly. I do apologize. Uh, I did my best. Here's your solicit. Jack the Ripper was never caught because no one was looking for him in the Wild West. No one except the Order, an organization made up of the descendants of crusaders sworn to eradicate the unnatural. The Order will stop at nothing to fulfill the pledge their forefathers made, even if it means crossing the ocean for a line or two. (whistles) Dot, dot, dot. As I said, when I made this my pick of the week a couple of weeks ago, I am a sucker for Jack the Ripper stories, especially if you take him out of his familiar Victorian environment and put them against a f- different backdrop. Like fighting wild- dinosaurs. Yeah, or <laughs> traveling in time and fighting H.G. Wells in the 1980s, whatever. Uh, the Wild West, for example. Unfortunately, Jack makes only the briefest of appearances, and the rest of the issue revolves around a single member of the Order as he makes the trek to America. I wish I could say that this issue lived up to my expectations, but I ultimately found it pretty dull. Stojanovic's script features a lot of world building, but very little forward momentum in terms of the plot. There's a saloon brawl that takes up uh, six entire pages, which does serve to establish the other 
main character, but otherwise has nothing to do with the main story, as far as I can tell. Like many comics we've reviewed that seem like they've been translated and adapted from another format, the slow pacing makes it seem like this was originally intended to be read as a more long-form story. Banovich's art is excellent. There are some pages where he displays an excellent grasp of moody storytelling, and the brief moments showing the Order's uh, Templar origins are intricate and beautiful. There's a backup, uh, there's some back matter with some text that's supposedly like scrolls written by the originators of the Order, uh, and they're just beautifully illustrated. You can imagine this fitting right into the Mignolaverse next to stuff like Witchfinder or Baltimore, at least visually. It's that, you know, that kind of period piece, horror adjacent, uh, you know, where it slides right into that kind of uh, genre. I did have high hopes for Cross to Bear number one, but I'm not hooked by what I've read so far. I'm giving it a skim it. I'm with you on this where I have a feeling this was probably released as a graphic novel. Uh, wherever it was released, someplace Eastern European is my guess. And I think it would probably work better that way too. But when you stop it after the first chapter like this, you go, okay, well, I didn't really have a lot to get into here. I mean, you, you, like it didn't even, it didn't even really, uh, it, it, it was like a logical pause. Right. But not like, like, like a scene transition, but not even, it didn't even read like a whole chapter. Right. There was nothing where I was like, Oh, what will happen next time? Kids tune in. Right. To, you know, like, no, I, I, yeah, and that's yeah, not exactly. this book's fault. That's aftershock putting it out issue by issue instead of just putting out a trade possibly. To be fair, we don't know that. Right. We don't know that, but it sure felt that's like how that. it felt. If yeah, it, it didn't feel like if that's not the case, then they're not doing a good job with pacing period you know and i'm trying to give them a benefit of the doubt i guess is what i'm doing here i've given it a yeah. skimmit as well i wanted to like it more there's definitely some good character driven stuff going on here but yeah like that saloon brawl that could have been three could panels have been two pages yeah. yeah or yeah one page totally uh, i mean i i, it's, I don't it's get just, it. it there there are long plotting scenes and quite honestly that, that saloon brawl got a little confusing at some points too because like everyone's wearing a cowboy yeah. hat Two, and there were a couple of guys that I two people have long hair. Apart. They both have mustaches. And I was like, OK, all right. Oh, oh he's the good guy. OK, <laughs> so no, I think he, there might even have been two guys in bowler hats, too. So it's like doubly good. I was like, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> so it's it's a skimmit for me. It may not be the fault of this book. We we didn't do enough research to know, but I would like to give them the benefit mm, of the doubt. Typical two headed nerd behavior. Cavorting playfully along the ocean floor with Imp, Aqualad Sea Pony, Tusky the Walrus hides in the coral growth. Suddenly. Let's move from the Old West to the ocean deep for Aquaman, Green Arrow, Deep Target. Number one of six from DC is written by Brandon Thomas with art by Ronan Cliquet. Here's your solicit. Celebrating the 80th anniversary of Aquaman and Green Arrow the only way we can in a team up. The shadowy organization known as Scorpio has resurfaced. I didn't even know who Scorpio was. Me I had asked I, Joe I, Patrick and Joe Patrick didn't know. I looked him up and the reason nobody has heard of them is because they were like the arch enemies of the sea devils and uh, shit like that. Okay. It's like, okay. Well, they're back and they're larger than before. While looting the past for artifacts and treasure, they have somehow altered the timeline and only Aquaman and Green Arrow can fix it. Celebrating the 80th anniversaries of Aquaman and Green Arrow, this high-octane story takes the unlikely pair from the depths of Atlantis to the surface world. I mean, yeah, oh, duh. Sorry. That's kind of the point. I mean, yeah. 
Thomas's story stands on its own, so don't worry if you're not caught up on Aquaman or Green Arrow. There's a broken timeline story here that has had a serious effect on both characters, and in true comic book fashion, they need to fight for a minute before teaming up to figure out what is really going on. I don't know much about Scorpio, but I kind of liked how Thomas gives nameless members like a line here and there that it humanizes the group a little bit rather than just having a bunch of faceless aim toadies getting kicked in the head. Yeah. Cliquet's art is solid superhero fare with some good action scenes. Although I did see a tweet where an actual archer criticized some bow work. However, I think if that tweeter reads the comic, they might feel a little better. (laughs) So uh, it's like, yeah, yo, uh, (laughs) I never realized how much these characters look alike. (laughs) They really do. Yeah. And from their hair color, all the way to their costumes and both Clique and Thomas are playing off that really well here. Actually. I'm not sure the story is taking place in the current DC continuity. If there even is any, we may be, I mean, sort of, we may be post continuity (laughs) at this point. And I think it's something we need to talk about. The creative team is having fun here though with two characters that i don't ever recall teaming up the title deep target sure sounds like a 90 steven seagal film but i had fun with some of those back in the day too i'm giving this a buy it i didn't expect anything going in put it down went that was fun it was fun uh yes i i didn't have any expectations about this in fact i thought oh god what is this dumb thing like why do i care aquaman and green arrow they don't even like like they're not friends right and uh it was good it was surprisingly good the the hook is the hook is fun uh the art is very decent and uh, yeah it was just i had no expectations and i was pleasantly surprised it's a buy it so this is the kind of stuff that i think they can do out of continuity and it's not gonna bother me because it's just an aquaman and green lantern story who knows what's going on it's not like Aquaman and Green Lantern are reimagined as cavemen. <laughs> sure. I mean, but I, I, I think it I think it fits in continuity, but it also doesn't matter where it fits. Right. In and also, if it is like, like I said, a broken timeline, you just go, well, yeah, they fixed it. So they're back. Sure. Didn't happen or did happen, but only they know, you know, whatever. Sticking with uh, last week's books, my next review is Batman The Long Halloween Special one shot from dc that's batman the long halloween special one shot yeah that's uh, kind of odd wording well they want you to know it's special and there aren't any more coming yes right (laughs) so Uh, well uh, not unless jeff Loeb has anything to say about it uh it's from dc it's seven dollars 99 cents uh but you know it was extra size extra length uh written by jeff Loeb with art by tim sale your classic batman the long halloween creative team 25 years ago, you thought you knew the whole story of Batman, The Long Halloween. Now, legendary creators, those guys I just mentioned, return to Gotham City to reveal that no secret remains buried forever. Join us for the return of the Batman Halloween specials and a mystery that could destroy Batman, Commissioner Gordon, Two-Face, and dot, dot, dot. Well, that would be telling, wouldn't it? (laughs) And it would be. Yeah, it would be. You can't go home again. It's a classic expression that many legendary comics creators have proven time and time again. Sometimes it works, and sometimes you get extreme X-Men. Other times you get X-Men Legacy running right now. (laughs) Oh, X-Men Legends, yes. (laughs) Legends, pardon me. Yeah, I mean, both are both, yeah, boy. Or, you know, Claremont and Byrne doing JLA, and you get Crucifer. You know, we don't have to talk about it. 
So when Jeff Loeb, a writer who, to be fair, has turned out some pretty poorly received work, teams up with his old buddy Tim Sale, who was always great, to revisit their most famous work, there was some cause for concern. (laughs) Happily, Batman the Long Halloween special, The One Shot, is a pretty excellent follow-up to their iconic 90s maxi-series. Uh, This is a sequel to the original set sometime around or after Robin's debut in Dark Victory that sees the calendar man on a rampage after the holiday killer stole his shtick in the long Halloween. Wouldn't this be right after the long Halloween and right before dark victory? I thought, well, no, because Robin debuts in dark victory. So Robin is already in the book. Gotcha. Though the story is 25 years old at this point, uh, I'm not going to spoil anything other than that. You will definitely want to read the original first because yeah, uh, big, big time spoilers for the original Long Halloween in this comic. This one shot not only deals directly with those events, but adds to them in a way I found really compelling. Uh, there were revelations made that I had forgotten about, and reading this book took me right back. Some of the dialogue, it is a little awkward at times, but I had no major complaints, nothing that took me out of the story. Uh, as I already said, Tim Sale is amazing. He was amazing then. He's still amazing now. The Colors by Brennan Wagner, son of Matt Wagner. No kidding. We make that yes. joke all the time. <laughs> it's uh, like it's in these biographies. Uh, that's awesome. I love it. Uh, they are an excellent compliment to Sale's shadowy line art. Batman the Long Halloween is one of my favorite Batman stories of all time. And Jeff Loeb has expressed interest in coming home to it more often. Based on the strength of this one shot, I welcome it. I'm giving this a buy it. It was great. This really was. It was great. And they, they very gently fit this into the existing story without doing anything ridiculous, without doing anything that it's like somebody was killed and you'll never guess what happened. Like it was just gentle and it was done really well. And it paid attention to the original stuff. Tim sale. I love Tim sale so much. But me too. part of me, as I looked at this, I started to think about all those jerks that were mad at Javier Polito. And I wondered if we were to show Tim Sale's art to these same people, they hate it. They say he's you know terrible. They, do. they say it's you garbage. Know they do. Yeah. Like, these people have no taste. Yeah. And it's these just people, like, like, this dude is a master. Truly and like, a master. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand if you, as a person, as, a, as an comic art connoisseur, do not care for Tim sales art style. That's certainly right. possible, but to come at it and say that it's be- like, we don't know that people are doing this, but in the case of this Javier Polito, where they're like, they're dumping on it. Like he's some sort of uh, uh, talentless hack is patently ridiculous. Right. And Tim sale, I, I can guarantee you, you would show them this and they would have the same. Reaction. Yeah. They'd hate it. You know, which just blows my mind because Tim sale is one of those guys where when I close my eyes and picture Batman, like every fourth time it's Tim sales, Batman. Yeah. You know? yep. He's definitely one of those guys. He's in the, he's in the Rolodex, the, the slot machine of artists that cycle through when right. I pulled the handle and it's like Jim Aparo, Jim Aparo, Tim sale. Right. You know? And then, yeah, it's, that's, yeah. yeah, there's not, I mean, I, this was just fantastic and it was a great little Halloween treat. Loved it. Made me want to go back to this too. Of course, this probably means we're going to get another omnibus edition with this added to it. So watch for that coming soon. God yeah. damn it, DC, you jerks. <laughs> Let's jump to this week, November 3rd, for my new my first book, Newburn, number one from Image. It's $3.99. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Jacob Phillips. 
Here's your solicit. Easter Newburn is a private detective without loyalties, investigating conflicts between rival crime factions while collecting enemies along the way. In this debut issue, a man is murdered after stealing from his own mafia family, but they aren't the ones who ordered the hit. This new ongoing series from Chip Zdarsky, Daredevil, and Jacob Phillips, That Texas Blood, features a riveting backup story, Brooklyn Zirconia, by rising stars Nadia Shamas and Ziad Yusuf. No way I said that right. Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil has been one of my favorite Marvel titles since his first issue on the run, mainly because it brought Matt back down to the mean streets of New York. While I didn't know what to expect with Newburn, I knew this creative team wasn't just going to give us another crime noir title, even in the vein of a great one like Brubaker and Phillips' Criminal. Here, the two take an approach to the main character that's so minimal at first, he almost comes off as robotic. But as the story progresses, you slowly realize this is just a guy that gets it. Newburn is an ex-cop. He works with the cops and the mob to take care of problems before they become wars. He's like a Vulcan version of Columbo, getting people to drop their inhibitions and tell the (laughs) truth with his bizarre style and his deep stare. Like, he's a creepy guy to look at. (laughs) Phillips, who used to be an inker in Sean Phillips' art in the pages of Criminal, strips his own style down even more to bare bones than what he's doing in That Texas Blood, but it works so well to create this sort of odd vibe that Newburn gives off as he confidently breezes through the city working his case. It's obvious this character isn't going to be a good guy, and he's going to make some ugly decisions before the story is through. But I am here for more, and I cannot wait to see where Newburn goes. Make this an HBO limited series now, okay? I'm giving this a buy it. Yes, uh, this is very good. This is a very good comic, um, and this is not a spoiler. It's in the solicit. He's not working for the cops. He's not trying to solve crimes. He's on the payroll of every major mafia family. Right. He's like Uh, the mafia detective, essentially. Yeah, and uh, I think that's such a great hook for a story. Oh, yeah. Um, And I like there's a line in the book. uh, One of the uh, characters says... uh, you know, he he he's talking to her and he's like, this is what's going to happen. There's no debating it. There's no arguing with it. This is these are facts. This is what will happen. You're going to go to prison. No, he's talking to the kid he's, that stole the cocaine. Yeah, no, but I yeah. like but he, he talk, he's talking to um, uh, he's talking to uh, another character later who was involved. Oh. And she's like, damn, Newburn, like, I thought you were a good. I thought you used to be a cop. I thought you were one of the good guys. Uh, how can you be doing this? Uh, and he said, well, if I was still a cop, then I would have been dirty. <laughs> And I just thought that that was so clever. It's like, yeah, well, now he's not a cop. Now he can do it. He's just a problem. Yeah, solver. right. And I don't know what that says about him. Like, may, like maybe it's it's like a thankless job that that he's a, a burden that he's taken upon himself, right? But he's also got a driver and probably a fancy uh, apartment. It so seems like, like he's like, he's benefiting. It seems like he's keeping the peace, though. Like, right? I yeah. do this and, thing and so because I, and right, I I want to know more about him because I right. want to know what his motivations are. Is he doing it because he thinks it needs to be done, or is he doing it because he's good at it and uh, you know they reward him richly for it? I think he's like no, the Witcher. Like, I want. 
I can't wait to know more I about th- this character. I think he's like the Witcher of New York, where it's like, yeah, he's like, nobody's got to do it. It's, it might as well be me. Right. And yeah. I may as well get paid, you know? <laughs> sure. Right. Yes, exactly. Like, t- toss a coin to your new burn. Right. Uh, yeah, this is a huge buy it. I loved it. And I I think it is tailor made for uh, a, a TV show. Totally. Yes, 100%. Moving on. Sorry, do that again. And don't do moving right. on. Come on, give me something. Give me a segue. You can do this. I got, got nothing. You can do this. I got nothing. Sure speaking of speaking of speaking of guys that might not be good, but that do things that are sometimes good for bad people. Wow. I don't know. You, it's the human target number you're one. Terrible at this. <laughs> God. It's from DC's Black Label imprint. It's four dollars and ninety nine cents. It's written by Tom King with art by Greg Smallwood. Here's your silicate. Christopher Chance has made a living out of being a human target. A man hired to disguise himself as his client to invite would-be assassins to attempt his murder. He's had a remarkable career until his latest case protecting Lex Luthor when things go sideways. An assassination attempt Chance didn't see coming leaves him vulnerable and left trying to solve his own murder, dot, 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 as he has 12 days to discover just who in the DCU hated Luthor enough to want him dead. I mean, lots of people, guy. Human Target is a hard-boiled, gritty story in the vein of classic detective noirs told by best-selling and critically acclaimed creators. Tom King and Greg Smallwood, I just talked about them. Here we go again. Another high-profile Tom King project featuring a low-profile character. Regular listeners will remember that I have been pretty lukewarm about King's work in recent years, especially his propensity to do terrible things to characters I love. Now he sets his sights not only on the human target, who is more or less a blank slate every time he appears, so whatever, but also the classic Keith Giffen, J.M. DeMatteis, Justice League International, who are near and dear to my heart. King likes to turn his protagonists into murderers or war criminals or both, so I think a little hesitance on my part is understandable. Cry, baby. All of that said, I really liked Human Target number one which finds Christopher Chance the accidental victim of a poisoning intended for Lex Luthor. This being Black Label, we're dealing with the secretly evil businessman version, not right. the armor-wearing supervillain version, which is actually, you know, I really prefer this, the, the slimy business. I mean, you can do version. both. I think you can do both. You can do both, but I really loved the idea that, like, Lex Luthor was evil, and everybody, uh, all the heroes knew it, but none of them had the power to stop him uh, because... He's never been caught, right? I mean, he's never been proven to do anything wrong, and the public loves him. That's how we got our last president, so, you know. Sure, yeah, no, absolutely. Only he's been proven he's done a bunch of shit wrong. So. Right, yes. <laughs> um, and, like, so I, 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 like, really like this take, and, uh, yeah. All signs point to a member of the Justice League International being the culprit, and Chance has 12 days and 12 issues to solve his own murder, which is pretty much exactly what the solicit said, but yeah. I didn't read it before I wrote that, so don't at me. It's a great hook, and King's script is slick and stylish with a modern retro feel of something like Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven remake. The The classic detective noir is also, like, very heavily inspired, oh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, like, that inspiration is very felt in the pages of this book. Uh, like, think, you know, uh, a Darwin Cook Parker graphic totally. novel adaptation. And the colors and everything, like neon splashes and, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. man. And I love you said it's Ocean's a- Eleven because all I could hear was George Clooney's voice. That's yeah, all I can yeah, hear. Pretty much. Like uh, George Clooney would make a perfect Christopher Chance. Totally. Hollywood. A little younger, but free. yeah. <laughs> it's all brought to vivid life by the phenomenal work of artist Greg Smallwood. Smallwood sells the retro feel with hard geometric backgrounds that are often 
Um, they are, and I can never remember, uh, my art teacher would kill me for this. I can never remember the term. They are either impressionist or representational, uh, where it's like you, you recognize the lines as this thing. Oh, I think you mean weird and fuzzy. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, but like you, you recognize the shapes, <laughs> but they're not like fleshed out and fully rendered drawing. Yeah. Right? Weird and fuzzy. Um, just like I said. Yeah. That's so it. hard geometric <laughs> backgrounds, soft lined character work and bold, beautiful colors, beautiful colors. Oh yeah. Now, maybe it's because Christopher Chance is a character that lends himself well to reinvention, and so I'm not attached to any particular version. Uh, but I was impressed with Human Target number one, and I am cautiously optimistic for what's in store. I'm giving this a buy it. I, I really liked it. Oh, just wait until Ice cuts his head off. Then you're going to be crying like a baby. I know. Are they going to reveal <laughs> that Nort is the murderer? I don't think like, they're going to. I don't think he's going to do anything know. like that. I, I, I. I, I think know. it's a swerve. I think the fact that swerve. the JLA are suspects yeah. is definitely a swerve. It's a swerve, definitely. And uh, man, this was fun. This was really well written and yeah. really, really fun. I don't have the same problems that you had with his Adam Strange story and Strange Adventures because Adam Strange, like, while I like that character, I could see him working there and I could see Adam Strange becoming something like that, just believing too much in who he is and whatnot. And I don't have, like I said, I don't have a long affinity with that character. I just feel like every project he's done outside of like an ongoing Batman thing has been like a brutal deconstruction of a character that used to be fun. You, like, should, you should read Rorschach. It's interesting. I read it after we talked about I, it last week and it was interesting. And it, again, it didn't have to be Rorschach. It would have been interesting had it been the question or anyone else. But this is perfect for him. Um, one question. There's a thing in here where Christopher Chance is talking about how like he gets in a car accident and they send the Justice League to pick him up because Lex Luthor th still thinks he's a hero. Was he a hero back like in the day in like the Silver Age or something? Or well, he's not a or is this hero, just new? Like he he wasn't a superhero necessarily. He's exactly what he's always been. He's just a guy. Uh, he's a protector, I guess. You but could was say. he like, connected he, to them back in the Silver Age in some way? Not as so far as I know. Like okay. he probably knew. Like. In those Silver Age adventures, like he probably met superheroes, okay. but he was, he's kind of always been the same where he's like, right. I'm a guy, somebody is in danger, they fear for their life, I pretend to be them to save them from uh, being murdered. For sure. Um, so, you know, but like, he's a character that also very easily lends himself to like gray area. Right. Right. Like, so let me, because let, here he is working for Lex Luthor. Right. Ne so next point of order. Any reason this need to be black label? Did you see anything? Single cuss word? Anything? Um, well, it's kind of in a nebulous continuity period. So was Deep Target, but we're not saying that needed to be black label. I, I don't I don't agree that Deep Target was nebulous. I think it was very clearly the modern interpretations of both of those characters. I mean, I guess. I don't know. I, I just don't get why it's black label. Matt. I get it. I still just don't understand what black label is. That's and that's fine, that. but it has nothing to do I loved with the this value book. of the story. I love this book. I'm giving it a buy it. This is one of the most exciting things that I've read from him since this Superwoman story that or Supergirl story that he's. Oh, I do. I am really liking Supergirl. It's yeah, that's excellent. That God, it's great. So very wordy. It's got a lot of words. <laughs> Let's move from crime noir to renaissance fair with Dark Knights of Steel. Number one from DC. Here's a creative team. It's written by Tom Taylor with art by Yasmin Putri. 
Here's your solicit. An entire medieval world will be forever changed when a spaceship crash lands from a doomed planet. Monarchs will die, kingdoms will rise, and what seemed the end of the world for many was only the beginning. An epic high fantasy story set in the DC universe where nothing is what it seems from worldwide best-selling writer Tom Taylor, who worked on Deceased, Superman, Son of Kal-El, and acclaimed artist Yasmin Putri, who apparently hasn't done anything yet, comes from a generational tale of good and evil within a brand new DCU. We've been sitting in Tom Taylor's cheering section for quite a while now on this show, but when we first reported that this series was coming, both Joe and I groaned a bit, and we wished DC would just give this guy the keys to the Justice League. Now, to be fair, they've given him much more than that with this story. Taylor is creating an entirely new DCU, where you'll recognize a lot of the characters, but as we see in the first few pages... (laughs) The rules are exceptionally different. Do I wish this was Taylor working in the current DCU continuity? Sure. But that doesn't mean this was bad. The story grabbed me from the first few pages. And rather than just putting DC heroes in cool armor, Taylor does a very good job coming up with creative uses for everyone we meet here. One complaint. The book is called Knights of Steel. Where's John Henry Irons? Come on! <laughs> it's number one of I 12, my guy. If you, you don't introduce down. him as the armorer, you're fucking up. That's all I'm saying, okay? <laughs> also, the Man of Steel is Superman. I get that. I understand that he's also named Steel. But I want Steel. Yasmin, Put- Yasmin Putri's art is tight and thin-lined without being overly detailed. She captures faces and emotions, even when they're hiding behind armor very well. And her action scenes are equally great. Dark Knights of Steel could easily have come off as a stunt in any other creative team's hands, but Taylor and Putri do a wonderful job laying out a medieval tale of the DCU in the first issue, and I was pleasantly surprised. I did not think I would care at all. I'm giving this a buy it. All right, so I have thoughts. I I, I have thoughts uh, primarily about um, your opening statements. Uh, I, I have... I have mellowed a bit. Uh, uh, I've kind of come around to DC's way of thinking. I understand that it's frustrating to not always know how things fit, where they belong, et cetera, et cetera. Like there are no clear boundaries, right? But they tell you here. That's just it. Right. No, like there's no else. There's no Elseworlds label. There's no Vertigo. There is a black label imprint that seems to be randomly applied. Right. And uh, like, I understand how... DC readers might get frustrated about that, but I've decided that I'm done worrying about it because I think DC and especially their like omniverse approach now after they're following um, death metal and infinite frontier, their motto is just roll with it. Well, and I don't uh, care if you come right out and say, this is brand new and it's this thing and here's where it's well, happening. They don't, but that's just it. They, they don't it. have to, they don't have to say. My, my point is that something like this, where it's like, this is obviously an Elseworld or a what if or whatever you want to call it uh, from the jump. And it's fine. And it's OK. And I like it. Fine. And yeah. this was really well done. I like uh, Tom Taylor. I love Tom Taylor. I'm sorry. I, I like there are people I I read a lot of criticisms of Tom Taylor's work. I don't get it. I don't either. Um, the guy's I great. Think he's we a like phenomenal. De- we like deceased. And that's not I know. anything I, I, I'm I even remotely interested is- in. <laughs> I think he is a phenomenal uh, character-driven writer. I think that he captures the voice of characters so well, even when they are in unfamiliar settings. Like this kid that looked like that was supposed to be Bruce Wayne 
he's a bastard knight. He's Jon Snow. Uh, yeah, he's right. And it's like, oh, but he still felt like Batman, right? He still felt like Bruce Wayne. With no and, doubt. Like the whole and, time. And the Robins right. felt like the, the Robins, Robins were great. And they were like, great. I, I, I love the subtle tweaks on like uh, the characters. There are some big twists that I won't reveal, but like like the identities of certain uh, characters in the in the book. I'm like, oh, that's fun. The art is fantastic. This was great. And the like, there's a big reveal uh, that's going to change the the direction of the story in a very interesting way. Yeah. Uh, this is a huge buy it. I really like this a lot. Deep within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. Now that the Battle of the Toms is over, let's wrap up our reviews with my bad, number one. That's how, that's how you have to say it. Yeah, my I bad. Right. I think you're right. Yeah, it's from Ahoy. It's $3.99. It's written by Mark Russell and Bryce Ingman with art by Peter Krause. Matt likes to call him Peter Krause, which I don't I always think is the That's case how the what. guy from, uh, what was the HBO show? To he yeah, it's Six it. Feet Under. Six no, Feet Under, yeah. A sharp superhero spoof from a stellar team that includes co-creators of Irredeemable and Second Coming in Gravel City. Great name. <laughs> the supervillain Emperor King has devised not only a sadistic death trap for his arch enemy, the Accelerator, but also the means to penetrate the top secrets of his other arch enemy, the Chandelier. <laughs> Important new comic book universe begins here, we say sarcastically. <laughs> they could have just left that off. I don't need you to say that. Just say important new comic book universe begins here. <laughs> and we get the joke. You know? I love it. Uh, really, all you have to do these days to sell me on a comic is tell me Mark Russell is writing. Yeah, I don't. Here. I don't think I've ever been disappointed by one of his oddball projects yet. And my bad is no exception. Set in the important new comic book universe, My Bad is a mini anthology telling a few short stories about the heroes and villains that populate the world, like the Chandelier, a Batman parody who is secretly the ultra-rich heir to a famous lamp company. There's also Man-Child, a David Spade or Macaulay Culkin-esque Hulk, Accelerator, an alien speedster, and fast food chicken magnate <laughs> for no reason at all, and Rush Hour. Just an above average guy that combats traffic related crimes, and that's it. Yeah. Nothing but traffic. Only deals crimes. with traffic villains, too. <laughs> that's his thing. It's it's all as clever and hilarious as you've come to expect from Russell, with the added bonus of spoofs of classic comic tropes like handbook entries and ads for mail-in gadgets. Co-writer Bryce Ingman is no slouch with a great story featuring a sad sack villain, that's the Emperor King, that dreams of singing Kelly Clarkson karaoke to a crowd of adoring fans. Peter Krause brings it all together with great art and hilarious character designs. From the Immortal Hulk parody on the opening page, like I open, I like... I read it digitally, obviously, but like I opened the cover and saw that opening page that was an Immortal Hulk parody and i was like okay you got i'm in you got me i'm all in uh to the hostess snack cake parody on the final one my bad number one was a delight to read it's a buy it for sure yeah it's just fun and it's just mark russell being smart making fun of comics and it's great that's all you need to know this was a there was one line where basically like the really bad guy the chandelier's bad guy i can't remember i think it was emperor king 
Emperor King. Yeah, sent him a, sent him like a birthday present, and he was like, well, "I can't open it, but I've got to know what's in it because I'm a spoiled shithead." <laughs> like, yes. So he brings over like his Hulk friend to open it, and like Hulk friend realizes what's going on and freaks out, like Hulk's out and breaks out of the house, and he's like, "Trust us, like a plate. You can't fix it when it's broken." And he's like you walking can't away. Just put it back. You yeah. can't just put it back together. And he's like walking away, and he's like, "Trust us, like a plate." <laughs> he's like so mad. Well, <laughs> oh, that is that is after he tries to get his housekeeper to open it and she's like right no. yeah, it was great you know this was just a ton of fun really good art i hope they just keep doing these i don't care how long this lasts i will always read this yeah i mean right yeah exactly it's kind of like the anti-black hammer right? yeah it's like oh it's 100 percent. like i think he is looking directly you recognize yes taken to ridiculous extremes he's looking at black hammer and how precious it is and goes okay i love that and i think it's amazing i don't have that in me this is what I have in me. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah and I yeah, guarantee yeah. he showed it to him and they loved it and probably laughed about it. So this is great. Yeah. Huge buy it. That is eight comics reviewed from the last two weeks. But now comes the hard part. Joe Patrick. What was your favorite read from the pile and the issue that goes into the THN permanent collection? You know, that is not an easy question this, this week. Normally, there's a, we normally gave, there's a front runner, but there were a lot of good books this week. We gave out a lot of buy -its. We gave out a lot of buy uh, Six out of ten buy -its. Ten? Like, I was... <laughs> six out of eight, sorry. Six out of eight were buy -its. <laughs> like, I literally just yelled, that's eight comics review. <laughs> I know, I know, sorry. Three, th three quarters, three quarters. Uh, I loved many of these books, but I think I'm going to give it to The Human Target. Uh, just because uh, not only like I, I know I have my issues with Tom King, but I really liked this first issue and the art by Greg Smallwood, who I would I love his art so much. Yeah, uh, it just pushed it over the edge for me. It, 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 like it was so gorgeous to look at. Fair enough. Um, I think I'm going to go with Newburn just because the character was so I really liked Newburn. interesting. Yeah. And like, that's the thing you got to do. It's not. I'm not saying it's easy to come up with a good crime noir story with twists and turns or whatever, but you've got to have a protagonist that's either completely lovable or so interesting that you can't take your eyes off them. And man, they nailed this. Loved it. I want more Newburn now. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and Facebook weekly on Tuesdays. Also, let us know what you thought about these comics or anything you read this week on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover, this Saturday on Facebook Live from 11 o'clock to noon Central Time. We jumped the gun on that meta thing. Turns out they hadn't done it yet. No, oh, dang it. Yeah, it's coming, though. That's enough of this week's new comics. Now it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where this week we were so excited about Dark Knights of Steel, we decided to build our own bat and super suits of armor so we can bash each other with padded swords while talking about our must-read picks for Wednesday, November 10th. Joe Patrick, how about you? Ah! My pick for next week is what's the furthest... Hold on a minute. Why do we have to have suits of armor if we're just using padded swords because that's what they do at the park that's what those 
your you know, those nerds, you know, the knights of the dinner so table. Are the or whatever suits get of together armor made out of like cardboard and shit? Yeah, yeah, it's all fake. Oh man, I thought we were cooler than that. <laughs> no, right. they had a trebuchet one day in Elmwood Park. Wow, we like what we? Are we you know what they did? Shot pillows at each other. That's how I know LARPing is lame. So, <laughs> well, what else do you expect? What are they going to launch at each other? I don't know, bulls or something. Come on, pillows. Give me a break. You can't, <sighs> Matthew. You know what doesn't pretend. fly when you throw up from a trebuchet? Pillows. Okay, it looked ridiculous. Everything that was cool I about mean, it. They could have probably they could have put water balloon. They could have yes. put uh, water balloons filled there with uh, so many red colored water in there. Nerf balls. Come on, you guys. <laughs> Uh, nerf balls. I think the nerf ball would just go away if you launched it from a trash. Awesome! I think it would just be gone forever. <laughs> All right, my pick for next week is what's the furthest place from here? Number one from Image Comics. It's four ninety nine. It's written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Tyler Boss. Here's your solicit. Triple sized first issue. A post apocalyptic coming of age story from four kids walking to a bank's Tyler Boss and Matthew Rosenberg. The world has ended. All that remains are gangs of children living among the ruins. But Sid believes there must be something more out there. When she disappears into the wastelands, her gang will risk everything to bring her home. A story about the things that matter most, your survival, your loved ones, and your record collection. <laughs> These cats just two can't come up with a short title, can they? I know, right? Uh, <laughs> two, reasons, uh, two reasons why I picked this. First of all, uh, the hype train pushing this comic along the last couple of months is uh moving out of control fast like they are doing lots of promotion for this book they are sending out like vinyl records to comic shops and stuff and like people are super pumped for this book and i'm very curious about it uh reason number two i loved four kids walking to a bank loved it uh reason number uh, three matthew rosenberg that guy kicks ass well yeah except matthew you know what like Matthew Rosenberg is a very, uh, I'm, I'm fond of his indie work. Um, his X-Men run is n not good. We loved Hawkeye uh, Freefall. That was great. I'm just saying like, he's not, a, he's not perfect. The guy has had his misses, but, Fair enough. um, I, but I really loved four kids walk into a bank yeah. and uh, Tyler boss is a tremendous artist. So, uh, yeah, trick, check out what's the furthest place from here. Number one next week, Matt, what's your pick? My pick for next week, and I want to preface this with, I did not enjoy the Venom movie. I do not plan on enjoying the second Venom movie, but I am excited for Venom, number one, from Nobody Marvel. Nobody cares. It is, Nobody cares how you feel about Venom. I just want Nobody fans to understand. Shit. Like, there's good Venom, and that Venom is crap. So, this one is $5.99 because it's big. It's like 56 pages. It's written by Al Ewing and Ram V. That's why I'm excited. With art by Brian Hitch, and here's your solicit. An epic new era! for the Sinister Symbiote starts here! Hot off the heels of Venom 200 and Extreme Carnage! We're closing out 2021 with one of the most ambitious books in Symbiote history! An all-new Venom from some of comics' greatest talents, Marvel mainstay Al Ewing, who himself has just ended a character redefining run on Mortal Hulk. This is like a bio. Is yeah. being joined by Ram V, a horror maestro, they say, all his own, to craft a mind-bending, gut-wrenching tale of symbiosis, the likes of which the Marvel Universe has never seen. As if that wasn't enough! They've been joined by industry legend Brian Hitch, who is leaving it all on the page! 
I think he's why why is it included? I in don't that know. Phrase? But I they don't make it sound like Brian Hitch. So awkward. Like he died, so he's not gonna be here for issue number two. He left it all on the page. He's left. <laughs> I'm sorry. You can say he like it's on his headstone. Brian Hitch, nineteen XX to twenty twenty one. Left it all on the, the page. page. Yeah. But we're not done. We haven't led you astray yet, have we? So trust us when we tell you that you have never seen a Venom like this. For those who are new to the show, whenever they put all capital letters in the solicits, we scream them because it's fun. Look, uh, I mean, I don't since we're remote, I don't scream as often because I live in an apartment building and I'm a small dog. Um, uh, Al Ewing and Ram V on Venom. I, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Yep. I, quite honestly, I don't care what they are working on. I'm in. This is going to be great. We loved Donnie Cates' Venom. I also feel like Donnie Cates found out who was going to take over. And then he was like, okay, here's how I'm going to end it. Good luck. <laughs> and just sort of yeah, handed yeah. this I mean, that, uh, That's kind of like, I mean, Marvel Marvel has these retreats where they plan shit two years in advance. Sure. So like they, they knew what was coming, but I, I do like the idea that like kind of what we joke about with Daredevil right. back in the day where it's like, Ah, Ed Brubaker's taking over for me. I'm going to send Matt to prison. Right. You know, or I'm going to reveal his identity to the world. Right. And or, like, or Buzzsaw okay. carved his face off. Right. Your turn. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah. But yeah, no, I think that this is going to be really fun. And yeah, did have they led us astray yet? Well, you know, Absolute Carnage was fun. Extreme Carnage was not so fun. <laughs> but who are they? Uh, I mean, that, I guess we get, we'd have to like sit yeah, down. Yeah, sure. Like, I mean, they meaning Marvel. What they right? are we talking uh, about? Are we but, talking about uh, Donny Cates and this guy? No. Yeah, we, we definitely <laughs> we definitely agree that the Venom series that preceded this one was a blast. It was and, magnificent. Uh, God, it was yeah, great. So I like they're 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 keeping it rolling with another quality creative team. I'm excited about it. I'm, and I'll take it even further. Not only do I not care about the Venom movies, I don't care about Venom as a character. Nobody cares. I don't care about this character. That's how good that last series was. It made me well, read. You, that means you do care about and care about a character that I've never given a shit about. Like literally since Todd McFarlane drew him, and only then I liked it because like, oh, he looks neat. <laughs> like that's it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you. The THN trade of the week goes to the other history of the DC universe. It's a trade paperback from DC Comics. It's twenty nine ninety nine. Uh, this may have also been labeled Black Label. I don't remember. I don't recall honestly. It, I mean, it doesn't matter because yeah. it wasn't really a comic. It was more like a like a prose history book. It's written by John Ridley with art by Andrea Cucci. Cucci, Cucci, Cucci. Yeah, sorry. And uh, Giuseppe Camincoli. Here's your solicit, the long-awaited miniseries written by Academy Award-winning screenwriter John Ridley. You may know him from 12 Years a Slave and Let It Fall. And beautifully illustrated by Giuseppe Camincoli and Andrea Cucci is now available in one volume. The other history of the DC Universe takes a look at the mythology of the DC Universe as seen through the prism of several generations worth of DC superheroes who come from historically disenfranchised groups. Extensively researched and masterfully executed, the other history of the DC Universe promises to be an experience unlike any other. You may think you know about the history of the DC Universe, but the truth is far more complex. The other history of the DC Universe isn't about saving the world, it's about the strength to simply be who you are. This collects the other history of the DC Universe numbers one through five. Um, so back in the 80s, Immediately following Crisis on Infinite Earths, DC put out a prestige format two-issue miniseries called The History of the DC Universe. 
and it was written by Marv Wolfman with illustrations by George Perez. Um, it was not a comic book. It was exactly what it sounds like. It was a history book. Right. Um, where the new history, the new post-crisis history of the DCU was laid out. Uh, and it's great. It's a great little artifact, especially if you're interested uh, in, in how the very first kind of world-ending crisis changed things. The other history of the DC universe is an homage to that uh, from the perspective of uh, disenfranchised groups, minorities, uh, blacks, Latinos. Uh, and uh, it's fun. It's, it's really good. Yeah, we, we reviewed uh, the first issue. It was excellent. It's really well told. Uh, and, um, you know, Giuseppe Camincoli is a tremendous artist. I remember uh, the Andrea Cucci art being good as well. Although I'm not as familiar with that artist. Um, but yeah, check this out uh, now that it's in one volume. It's a little bit more in depth. I think it's going to uh, read better that way, too. Quite a But uh, yeah, absolutely worth checking out. Want to read these comics? Good news, nerds. All you have to do is pre order them from your local comic shop and they'll be waiting in your pull file. Halloween is over, but we've got one more scare in store for those listeners brave enough to support us on Patreon. It's the THN Take a Look. It's in a book club where every month we invite a friend of the show to discuss a trade paperback or graphic novel with us. And this past month, we chose Joe Hill's Basket Full of Heads. Now, you can hear the entire discussion on our Patreon Extra segment for as low as $1 a month. But here is a taste for you cheap nerds out there still sitting on the fence. Welcome to another exciting edition of the THN. Take a look. It is in a book club. Now, Halloween is coming gone, but we're not done being spooky in the ziggurat yet. We are going to have our discussion of Joe Hill's Basket Full of Heads, the complete trade paperback. Here is the solicit. June Branch visits her boyfriend, Liam, on Brody Island for a relaxing last weekend of summer. After an escaped group of criminals breaks into the house that June and Liam are watching, Liam is taken by them. June grabs a strange Viking axe and flees from the intruders. When one of the attackers finds her, she swings the axe and takes off his head, which rolls away and begins to babble in terror. For June to uncover the truth, she'll need to hear the facts straight from the mouths of her attackers, with or without their bodies attached. I already said it collects issues one through seven of the first series. Now, as always, I'm joined by Joe Patrick, but we are also joined by our good friend, John Latrell, John, say hello. Hi, guys. I'm so happy to be here. He can't be that good of a friend if you refuse to pronounce his name correctly. Yeah, Matt, Littrell. that's a big, long-standing thing. You've been Littrell, saying my I name know. long for years and years and years. Which you that's know, okay. Don't ask him to say. Don't ask him to say Rick Remender or any other like mm-hmm. very like similarly to easy to it. pronounce. Listen yeah. to all the creators out there that get mad at him. Like I'm a pretty white dude with a pretty German name, and he can't get my name right. So yeah, uh, tr- like look, we've long said it. It's not them. It's us. It's yep, us. Fair yep, yep. And it's no problem. And then and, and before. Before anyone really gets into this, hey, hey, everyone I know, I also wish they had brought on someone more entertaining like Brian Domingos. I get it. I totally get it. But I'm here for we can't have the one here. We can't have Brian Domingos and Jason Sachs on every episode. It's true. It's, I know. It's every true. once in a while, we got to reach out to the cast of the Burt Wieners podcast. And that's, that's when we're really <laughs> Wait, hold on. Barrel. Why 
Why can't we have Brian and Jason on every Regardless of that, this book was written by (laughs) Joe Hill, son of Stephen King and beloved horror fiction writer, we'll call him. I don't know. How's that? Yeah, man, that's what that's how that's what he is. He's a horror fiction writer. Right on. With art by Leo Max. I also think that's uh, grossly because he is also the son of Tabitha King. Um, and no one ever, ever recognized What's Tabitha that? ever done, though? I mean, other than make a kid. And how hard is uh, that? I mean, really. She wrote several books. <laughs> oh, did she really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, she's an author. I thought so. she was just a woman without a job, like motherhood. Give me a break. <laughs> am I right? <laughs> Remember that Simpsons where he's like, come on. Motherhood's not a job like fatherhood. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get right into it, though. This was, a v- John, I called you specifically. Had you in mind okay. thought of this because you are a horror weirdo. You love horror okay. movies. I love them. Joe Patrick just submitted himself to a month of watching horror movies. We've all got horror on the oh, brain. It ain't over yet, but yeah, I'm, oh, I'm giving myself rolling. into it. Still rolling. Yeah, I mean, it was 43 movies. I, I ain't nobody got time to squeeze that many movies into one month. For sure. Oh, we'll talk to Chris Mounts. He watches that in like a weekend. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. That's different. Yeah. That's a sad story we're not going to go into. <laughs> But speaking of horror movies, this one definitely comes off. It's set in the 80s, and it has a very early 80s sort of Nightmare on Elm Street. Kind of meets Jaws yeah, feel. Kind of a slasher vibe. Yeah, a little mm-hmm. bit of a slasher vibe. I guess more the of a, Jaws. The Jaws thing's really good comparison. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It's very, it's very Northeast. Like Brody Island is even got to be a throwback to Jaws. Has to be, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because like, I, like it. Uh, Am I wrong? Am I misremembering that in Jaws it is Brody Island? No, Brody is the cop. Name of the guy. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. I was like, I was like, I knew it was something had to do with Brody. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, of course, he's the name of the guy. Yes. yes. So we find ourselves on this nice off-season sort of Cape Cod type island. Probably not quite as expensive for the time. It seems mm. like it's hoity but not toity. You know what I mean? <laughs> And our main character is June, and June is sort of our naive, pretty waif. She's younger. She kind of trusts people. She has a boyfriend, Liam, that she's in love with. Did we like June? June was kind of like the vehicle for this whole story, and that's very important, especially for a horror movie. And she's definitely a final girl in this, in the sense that it's like, she goes through all the stuff and gets away, sort of like the one girl in Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. Do we like mm-hmm. June? How'd you guys feel about her? Joe, you want to start? Sure. Uh, I mean, I liked June. I, I, John and I uh, were discussing this a little bit prior to recording and, you know, just kind of like gathering our thoughts and, and whatnot. And um, we both agreed that of all of the cast members in this book, June is one of the very few that did not deserve to get their head chopped off. Thanks again, John. Head over to Patreon to check out the whole discussion and be sure to pick up this month's Take a Look. It's in a book club read with the Eternals hitting theaters this weekend. It only seemed right to check out Eternals Volume 1, Only Death is Eternal by Kieran Gillen and Isad Ribic, which is available at your local comic shop. Now that will be our Take a Look. It's in a book club read for Novambra. Exhaust! That's it for THN 642. Next week, we switch back to talking about old comics when the Cosmic Long Box returns with a theme. And this time, it's Joe Patrick. Ah, this week's theme comes 
from listener Bryce Cetrin, who writes via email. Hi, guys. I recently read through everything I could find of the Marvel UK imprint. Oh, boy. I have fond <laughs> memories of reading Death's Head with my dad when I was young, but I mostly just hear people dump on it. Oh, boy. So I wanted to do a deep dive and see how justified that was. Uh, unsurprising, you know what? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll read it. Unsurprisingly, I found a lot of bad stuff and some real gems. I think the original Death's Head is still good, and Death's Head 2, not so much. But I really enjoyed Motormouth and Kill Power and the first volume of The Knights of Pendragon. I was just curious what your thoughts were on the Marvel UK books. I have a feeling we're going to find out. <laughs> that maybe that could be an entertaining episode of the Cosmic Long Box. Bryce. Ask and ye shall receive. This email came in yesterday. It is destiny. Next week's Cosmic Long Box theme is Marvel UK. So you should have done Bryce. It's a great idea. But instead, we're going to do heroes that are bugs. You know, that <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> sounds really uh, easy. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm here to tell you, Bryce. Uh, I have never read anything from Marvel UK. Yeah, I. So, I mean, no, that's not true. Wasn't clandestine Marvel UK? No, Clandestine is a book set in the UK, but oh. it was just from American Marvel. I thought it was Marvel UK. Okay, I did not no. know that. If you want to rap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover, every Saturday at 11 Central Standard Time. We host it on our Facebook page, on Facebook Live. And don't forget, if you're trying to think of something to come up with, talk to us about, how about the question of the week? Joe Patrick. Speaking of listener supported, this week's question was submitted by Josh Rector. Josh Rector! Sorry, go. I almost forgot. Via the THN forums. Rector! Yeah. <laughs> Rector, I barely knew her. All right. <laughs> He's heard that a few times. I'm sure he has. What comic creator did you discover before they hit the big time? Did you catch a young Frank Miller on Weird War Tales back in 1978? Did you read 2000 AD back in the day and come across a baby-faced Grant Morrison? Did you used to babysit a 10-year-old Greg Land as he traced the underwear section of the Sears catalog? That's great. <laughs> to, such a well-thought-out and well-written question, Josh. To put it in hipster terms, what comic book creator were you into before it was cool? Love it. I love it, too, and I immediately had an answer. Nerd cred questions. I love it. That's right. Uh, please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. Otherwise, we reuse old ones that uh, we try to pretend you don't remember, or we come up with very simple, easy ones that uh, that are no effort whatsoever. That's not true. It's true. You can call us at 402. What's your favorite superhero turned into a bug? You can call us at 402-819-4894 or join our Zoom by clicking on the link in the Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline and you could be internet famous. Remember, keep it two minutes or less if you're going to submit your answer via message or MP3 so that we can share the air with the live callers. If you're new to the show and you'd rather listen to any other hot Tom on Tom action than listen to any more of this crap, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. Good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive. You can find that at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN, it's a listener-supported podcast. That's you. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Andrew 
Nikovich. With this this whole this whole show has been just lousy with bitches. I love it. We're yeah, reaching bitches. out to uh, Russians and, and like, Slavs I, everywhere. <laughs> and I don't know if you've noticed, Matt, but like we are currently three weeks in a row with a new patron. That's right, because we're trying. And this is what happens here, when we try. Here is a <laughs> we make three so, more dollars. <laughs> here is a not so here is a not so subtle spoiler. It ain't over yet. All right. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron over at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd where you hear all kinds of exclusive content. Or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you're just that kind of sweetheart. You're like this Michael Landon angel walking the earth and you're just like, hey, kid, have a dollar. You know? Look at you. Wow. A highway to heaven reference. Yeah. You're just like Roma Downey and Della Reese. I don't that's know. a touch. That's a touch by an angel. Oh yeah, I didn't know that's what that show was about. I thought it was about like a. Uh, yeah, they were angels, dude. Oh, I thought the angel was in like in court because you know shouldn't have been touching people like that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I, that was my guess. It sounds more interesting. My script. Yeah, uh, I way mean, more yeah, if that were if the show were remade today, that's probably how yeah. it would go down. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to the winner of our THN Name the Segment contest. That's right. It's you, Mr. Adam Crouch. For those that may have forgotten, our new Patreon segment will focus on classic comic stories that we, as self-proclaimed experts, have somehow missed. Thus, the new segment can only be called Slack Issues. I love it. What, yes. Are we announcing what we're reading for the first one? Yes, we will. Word to you, Adam, and everyone that entered, we will get with you about your prize. The first victim in the Slack Issues segment will be the classic Legion of Superheroes story, The Great Darkness Saga. Oh, boy. I have read it. I read it years ago as a teenager. I have not. Matt has so. never read it. And that's all that matters. Uh, Only one of us has to have yes, not read yeah, it. Yeah, one one or both of us never read it. Uh, right. And if and if one of us is like 30 years removed from having read it, more's the better. Fair enough. Uh, but yes, it is going to be something because I can already predict which way the wind's going to blow during that episode. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just stick them in their pants and have them experience their own little great darkness saga that you don't know about before you take them home. What this the hell? This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. <laughs>